Greetings and welcome again to Bombadil's Porch. Today is already February 4th, 2021, and I am Chris Martin, and I am here with Caleb Klontz, and joining us remotely is Nate Laramore, and we are three Christian dads trying to recover the lost art of taking time to sit on the front porch together, building community, camaraderie, and also enjoying the view of God's word and God's world. And in this episode, we'll be looking primarily at God's world together, and we're looking forward to discussing the plight of the Uyghurs, the long view of a short squeeze, and the vaccine buffet that is now upon us. And so before we get to that last tantalizing topic, we will start at the world scene talking about an issue that has been kind of rising and falling uh, in the global consciousness for a while now, but has surged back into the headlines recently. Nate, what's going on? Well, uh, by the way, appreciate you guys dealing with me being remote as we are in a quarantine here at the house. Um, we have no symptoms. My relatives have no symptoms, but they did test positive. So um, out of an abundance of caution, we wanted to keep any any of this to ourselves. So thanks for your flexibility, guys. It's kind of cool looking at you on camera here, though from from yeah. so far away i mean as the crow flies i'm what three <laughs> miles away <laughs> well you look like you're in new less. zealand actually yeah. the, the virtual background there is of a hobbit hole if i am not mistaken i went with the frodo baggins background Fantastic. I, I, I don't know where tom bombadil would have lived but i if he did have a, a cool abode I it, I it ought to have a round front door like he, this underhill it sounds like so i'm not sure no he didn't <laughs> we, he talks about underhill uh, but he doesn't live underhill right he has a I don't know. So if, well, this if, uh, is kind of underground. Frodo's, yeah. his, the, those, those hobbit pads were sort of underground, right? Yeah. But uh, uh, at any rate, yeah. I, I'm starting lighthearted, guys, because the my topic is anything but. In fact, it's quite heavy. I, I, almost, I almost went looking for something else. Uh, but I do think that part of our, our passion here on the porch is to not just find lighthearted things, but... Uh, we want to focus on truth, and sometimes that involves pretty pretty heavy material. And the 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 article that I had some difficulty finding came from the BBC, and I had heard about this in passing, but I really had to go hunting for it. Caleb, I think you said it popped up on one of the Christian news sites today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but what I what we're looking at here is an article that really is about what I might call the worst of humanity, and this is about China's systematic uh, rape, abuse, and torture of the Uyghur people. Uh, there are folks that are fairly well informed that when you talk about the Uyghurs, have not heard much about this, and I think it's because there hasn't been a great deal of international interest in what's going on. And this is in a remote region of China. The Uyghur people are a minority uh, group there. And according to independent estimates, more than one million men and women have been detained in a sprawling network of re-education and detention camps. And they have been detained by the Chinese government. The China says that these camps exist for re-education purposes of the Uyghurs and other minorities. They are a Muslim minority within the nation of China. If if you do get a chance to go to the BBC article, it is definitely adult rated. It's it's not inappropriate, but the 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 crimes against humanity that are going on uh, are shocking. 
um, and heartbreaking. Hmm. In the article, there are images, satellite images of camps and, and their growth over time. These are some of these are massive installation, essentially prisons. And, and I have to say, I, I don't think I'm overstating this because if there is one thing you don't want to do, you know, in, in this day and age where everyone's trying to out insult their opposition, they call everyone Nazis or they call everything, you know, compare everything to Hitler. What immediately comes to mind is, is, is a chilling reminder of what happened. Um, to Jews and other persecuted minorities in Nazi Germany. The uh, human rights groups have said that the Chinese government has gradually, this is interesting to me, gradually stripped away the religious and other civil freedoms of the Uyghur people. And this has culminated in an oppressive system of mass surveillance, detention, indoctrination, and even forced sterilization. The article from the BBC that just recently came out was really firsthand, a firsthand expose. These are people that were interned there that have escaped, have been interviewed. And it is horrific about the way that the, in particular, the women have been, uh, have been isolated and abused in some of the worst possible ways. Uh, China has responded to these reports that of mass detention, forced sterilization, and 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 massive rape. Uh, they've called these things lies and absurd allegations. Uh, I don't want to spend our time going into the detail. I don't think it's appropriate, certainly for our material, and we've got some younger listeners. But what I would did want to talk to you guys about is this is this is an absolutely horrible reality that's going on right now. And it's targeting over a million people because of their religion and their race. And and some in an ancillary article that I discovered, this goes. They say that these policies come straight from President Z, uh, who is president of China, head 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 of the CCP, and effectively a dictator at this point. Uh, and I guess what I'm wondering is, and maybe I'm off here, but there is not much media attention here in the United States to this issue. I, I rarely hear about it. You have to go digging for it to find out what's going on with, with the Uyghur people. And, and I guess I wonder in a time where our media voices are always outraged about something. That's been the, 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 the modus operandi now for almost four years, probably even longer than that. It's all about this culture of outrage. Where's the media outrage about about this situation? Hmm. Uh, where are where are the grand speeches from celebrities and athletes and politicians that are putting bumper stickers on their helmets and putting and tweeting about the oppressed? And when when this is truly a system of oppression, um, if if there was ever anything that tied into the Marxist power differential dynamic that is dominating our culture dominating our academic discourse right now. It is this situation with the Uyghurs. I just, where's the condemnation from major corporations? We've got companies that, that are cutting off Parler, uh, for example. You know, Parler was axed in terms of their cloud services. We've got companies that are, uh, major companies like Apple and Google and Amazon that will take action based on, um, certain what they perceive as as oppressive things. Where's the attention to this situation? Why aren't our elites shouting from the rooftops? And uh, I got to say, I want to get your take on this because I'm clearly monologuing because clearly I'm fired up about this. Uh, 
it seems to me that they don't really care, but I, that, that's a really strong judgment for me to say that. I wanted to get you guys feedback about why do you think that here in America where this that we're obsessed with being nice, being tolerant, being inclusive, but it doesn't apply to everybody. And it certainly doesn't seem to apply to this situation where the Chinese government is torturing a minority group. What do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a phenomenon that I think has been increasing uh, over time. And it's easy to, I think, to try to look at just one variable and say, you know, this thing, these things keep cropping up and there's no big outrage. It must be because people don't care. Uh, I think what you're seeing is a more interconnected uh, situation where the integration of America with China is a pretty complex dynamic. You know, as you guys know, um, there's a little bit of a economic uh, mutual assured destruction between our nations with they they don't like us, but they need us because we buy their stuff. We don't like them, but we need them because they buy our debt and they make our stuff. Um, you see uh, just a lot of companies that control information are also companies extremely invested in China as a market. And China has proven that it is willing to kick major players out of the country if they don't toe the line for what they consider to be acceptable speech. And so you're you're seeing big corporations like the ones you even mentioned trying to decide, do I ever want to sell an iPhone in China again, or do I want to allow this article to be published? Uh, do I want to let Amazon build inroads, or do I want to let this issue be be discussed? And so I, I think you have a, a lot of culture of ideological fear, because China, like a lot of um, dictator-like nations, uh, they they survive on their ability to control the flow of information. They recognize that that's vital. America has seen in the past that the ability to allow the free flow of information ideas is vital to the way of life that we were trying to build here. Uh, but other countries, that's absolutely the opposite. They they recognize the only way that their ideology can survive is through controlling information. And I think in a in a way that should just be bizarre, but is unfortunately I think too financially understandable. We've allowed the West to be intimidated uh, by by the East. Yeah, follow the money. Mm -hmm. What do you make of these? Uh, there is a an entire industry of, and I'm going to put this in quotes: courageous cultural warriors. <laughs> uh, and it is an industry. There is no what, question. What kind these of people quotes? are making money hand over are those fist. Air quotes. Air quotes, yes, air, that's what ooh, I had up air there, quotes, air okay. Quotes. And what do you make of the fact that I, I would say situations like this, albeit this is one situation, but there are situations in Africa, there are situations in, in the subcontinent, Southeast Asia, there are situations where it's not just someone saying, hey, you make more money than me, therefore I'm oppressed. It's people saying, I can't even live like you're trying to kill me. You're trying to, I mean, we're talking about uh, a, a true oppression, not some, some form of uh, psychological gymnastics to try to demonstrate that this is oppression. What do you make of the, this, this industry though, of, of, we'll just call them the, the, the social justice warriors that are very selective about the causes they choose to be courageous about. <laughs> and I would dare say here in this country, 
This is the got to be the safest country in the world. To They say we speak truth to power. There's no risk to that um, other than possibly being canceled. But what, what do you guys make of it? Am I being too unfair? Because, uh, again, fired up about this subject. Uh, am I being too unfair? Are, are these are these folks here in, in the U.S., are they these activists, are they well-intended or, or are they just not nearly as courageous as maybe we're being led to believe that they are? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Uh, no. Well, I mean, I think I think both both probably what you just said. I mean, they're 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 not actually as courageous, or they would be out there championing things that that would be at real cost to them. You know, a lot of times um, there's not really that great uh, of a of a. I, I'm not saying never, but but a lot of times there's really not that great of a cost or a personal sacrifice, and so it's easy to get on on you know all ramped up with a bunch of other people about something and go out and and you know when when there's no no cost, right? Because yeah. uh, you know no True. personal costs, uh, especially because you know you're going to have a lot of people. I mean, a lot of the issues they're upset about. There are a lot of other people that you know to some degree you almost you almost get famous by doing it, right? And it's almost a, a, a form of of being popular in our culture. And so everybody gets on board with those. But if, if it's not a popular thing, for example, this story coming out of China, you know, um, nobody wants to get crazy about it because it's China. So right, <laughs> I don't know. Right. Or it's far away or something. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm to kind of bring it close. It's one thing to, to look out at others and say, you know what, you, you seem disingenuous. You seem insincere. And, and in fact, they do um, by the, they're so selective about this, the causes that they decide to champion. But uh, getting a little closer to home with us as as Christian dads, and I think probably, guys, that's why I got fired up about this. Because as mm. I was reading this article this week, and and Chris, you brought an article about the Uyghurs last year. So this is right. nothing new. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is something that's been going on for an extended period of time and has been in the news for some time. But as I read the article yesterday— and I really, I mean, the content was offensive and shocking. But as you begin to think about these, are these particularly these women and, and young women, these are these are daughters, these are sisters. In some other cases, um, some of these women are mothers, and they are being victimized in front of their community, intentionally to demean, demoralize, and intimidate the community as a whole. I mean, it is mm. just absolutely horrible. And so. Um, as a Christian guy, um, it, I'm, I'm kind of left with, okay, this is awful. Sin is horrible in all its forms, in particular this kind of sin. What can I do about it? I mean, I can pray. Is there something else that I can that I can do to try to to try to love the way Jesus taught us to love? It's a little hard because they're far away and they're in inside a closed nation. But do you, if you, if there's some examples biblically or or even historically where Christians could do something to to try to shine the the true love and holiness of Christ into an awful situation like this, you choose to no longer buy any products from China or associate with anyone that does business there. That's an option. That'll save, that'll save me a lot of money. <laughs> Actually, that'd be that'd probably be way harder than most people uh, even yeah, imagine. We're just even sitting in this room, and I was just trying to think to myself if if we zapped everything that came from China out of just the space that we're in right now, I'm pretty sure we'd 
end up on a concrete slab well, <laughs> surrounded yeah. by well, I mean, yeah. not our, much. Our Bibles. They're printed there, aren't they? Which is a lot of truly them are. ironic. Majority. Yeah. If you carry Bibles in, you'd get arrested, but they print them there. <laughs> yeah. That's, my understanding is there isn't any presses in in the continental U.S. that even print on India paper that Bibles are made out of. Mm. So it's like we, don't even, we don't even have the capacity anymore in this country to do yeah. it. I mean, I think there's room for us as Christians to consider that that very kind of thing, Chris. I, I think if we were to to think, you know, bigger, and and especially if there's somebody who's a businessman or somebody who can invest in in doing something like, why why are we not printing Bibles in our country? You know, let's let's mm-hmm. let's figure that out and let's let's change that. Um, why are we not producing uh, certain products in our country? You know, can we can we change that and and uh, at least at least. You know, uh, alleviates. I mean, that's the big thing, right? America doesn't speak out about China about these things because they don't want to get sanctioned. They don't want to get. Uh, you know, they want to be able to have all this, these privileges and all the other stuff that they have with China. So we'll keep relationships good um, mm. because we, yeah. sadly, are dependent on them. In many ways, we are. I think as well with a, re- a regime like this, because um, at some point they're not really asking me what I think about our economic policies with China. You know, and I've I've tried to um, you know get get Joe Joe on the line and, and give him some advice, but he so far hasn't <laughs> taken my call. Uh, and so there's there's going to be dynamics there that are that are beyond our control. But w- what what you're seeing right now is almost always what's the case, which is the triumph of lies over truth. Uh, mm. You have deception, uh, and it's it can be a very thin veneer of de- you know deception. You know when China says. Uh, you know, what, what are you guys doing over there with those million people locked in, in, in a jail? And they just go, what people, <laughs> you know, mm. there are no people. Yeah. Uh, did you guys, Chris, did you see this interview? It was end of last year. Sorry for my squeaky chair here. No worries. Um, this interview last year, it was with a Chinese government official. I got to see if I can find this and send it over to you guys. He was being interviewed, uh, somewhere here in the West by an interviewer. And they brought up this situation, and they even brought up uh, pictures, right? Uh, aerial pictures of one. people being lined up and herded onto trains like cattle. The Uyghurs were, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and he completely uh, not only ignored the question, but mm-hmm. started talking about almost like a tourist ad. Like he completely yeah. ignored the the evidence, and he just started talking about this is a lovely part of our country. It was it was Absolutely. unbelievable. Well, if I remember correctly, uh, some of the new Disney Mulan movie was actually filmed in that region. If I remember correctly, they actually had to Photoshop some camps out of the background of some of their landscape shots. Uh, I don't have uh, that right in front of me, so that take that with a grain of and, salt but that, i mean that that's the kind of of pr campaign you would expect from from a country that again understands controlling information and and controlling the narrative is paramount to being able to exist uh and and so i think as christians we always have the obligation and the opportunity to speak the truth in love and that's always going to be the greatest weapon against such things because a uh, truth shines a light and uh and and eventually that has a, a corrosive effect against you know the great castles of of lies that have been built around the world, and so mm. I, I do think whether it's in our context or other contexts, we've really got to work hard to be people of 
of the truth and where there is evil, we need to say that's evil. And we need to use that kind of language and not adopt the euphemisms of the day where, no, that's just a, a cultural difference or that's a product of societal, you know, ingrained ideas or that's, a, you know, all those other factors may be, may be present. But to be able to say this is good, that's evil, this is right and true, that's false and deceptive. Uh, and then, you know, I know with Caleb, obviously your passions in, in global outreach and, mm-hmm. and global missions, um, there is not going to be an alleviation to the suffering until the, the gospel ultimately, uh, brings down, uh, this, this, um, this ideology. There's mm-hmm. not going to be a solution to this suffering until King Jesus takes over the reins. But that's, you know, when you look at, at world history, oppression, um, deception, uh, all this is the norm. Like this is what people do to yes. people. Uh, and, and some of the exceptions have been places where the gospel has found great inroads, uh, thanks to the Reformation and things like that, where you began to see a, a valuing of life and a, a valuing of differing opinions and the realization that there needs to be a level of charity and justice for people. Um, and again, not a perfect record, um, mm-hmm. but that that's where that spark of of hope has appeared uh, in, in general is, is where people have come to understand uh, their relationship with the creator. And so I, I think our efforts to get the gospel to China, our efforts to speak the truth about places like China. And again, China is not... China is not an evil place any more than Spokane Valley is an evil place, right? China mm-hmm. is a country full of... Uh, of now billions, you know, over a billion people made in the image of God. Uh, and, you know, I, I long to see China be a land that is, that is flourishing, that is successful, uh, where uh, they are enjoying all of the blessings that come from uh, conducting a nation according to how God has, has called us to do so. And that should be our desire. I don't, I don't want to see China as a civilization disappear. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to see it look like right. America. You know, I would, I'd love to see a China where lies and evil are displaced by the gospel, but still is Chinese and has Chinese culture and, and that Chinese flavor that, that God enjoys seeing is in the diversity of, of his creation. So yeah, I think truth and, and the gospel are ultimately the tools that will bring this down. Not actually me refusing to go to Walmart ever again. Um, though, you know, those are steps that can be taken out of conviction. Mm -hmm. Such a good point, Chris, that this is not, uh, our, our anger at something like this, our outrage at something like this is not at the culture and people of China. It's at a brutal, oppressive regime. And in a way, the people of China are victims in a different way of this same regime that seeks to persecute all forms of unapproved religion, all forms of unapproved economics, all forms of unapproved education, uh, behaviors. Uh, It's a great point. It's a pity that we need to make that point, but I think it is important to make that. This is not some kind of anti-people of China rhetoric. This this is an outrage at a specific uh, government and in this case, a policy that finds its way all the way to the president of China uh, that is targeting the, the Uyghur people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's also some practical opportunities, and it'd be fun to research these more, but call our representatives, um, write our representatives and say, hey, would you please make this issue front and center? There's no possible way that this is a partisan issue. 
and let this right. let this be the topic of whatever Joe Biden's first address is at the United Nations. You know, if that place is going to do any good, it should be about something like this. And let's just begin to exert the the shame culture of the global apparatus on this because that's that's what it's there for. This is a shameful thing to do, and and China is obviously a nation where where shame is a huge issue. They hate to be embarrassed about anything. And they would like to sweep it under the rug and just basically say, hey, you know, we control the pocketbook and so you keep your mouth shut or else. And if countries just say, no, <laughs> we, we, we don't care, uh, that's wrong. Uh, you mm. know, I think there is a potential, even for them in their own selfish self-interest, to to begin to, to change course on some of these things. So if there's a practical step we can take, that might be part of it. But as individuals, yep. yeah, I think – Prayer, evangelism, speaking the truth, the, um, these are the ways in which ultimately um, the gates of hell will not prevail. Mm. Well, I think that's great. I mean, I, a heavy subject, but the great thing about being kingdom men is there's always a path forward because of who we serve, because of the Lord, because of his word. There's no situation that is so hopeless that it cannot be fixed, cannot be redeemed uh, because it's it's ultimately in God's hands, but I, I I definitely think this is something that we as believers can can find some way to be active in. If these were our relatives, if these were our neighbors, we would not sit idly by. Um, I, I, at least I would hope we wouldn't. So I, I would. There is really no good transition, um, Chris, hmm. from this part of our. From this segment of our episode, uh, over to your national event, but I do want to hand it off to you. And can you uh, tell us tell us what is going on with GameStop? My <laughs> only the GameStop, the only interest I ever had was their discount games, and now it is just all over the news, nonstop for the past week. What is going on here? Yeah, I'm sure nobody's been able to miss that on this. <laughs> I, now, Caleb, did you used to haunt GameStop? I I've, I have been known to haunt GameStop. I even worked <laughs> there uh, briefly at a store in really? North Town Mall. Oh, did you? Oh, you yeah. had an insider's view of. Did GameStop. you have any stock? I did not have any stock. <laughs> Bummer. I know. Too bad, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think many people listening uh, to this are unfamiliar with the general headline that's been in the news. Um, there's been a, a fun, depending on your perspective, a, a fun economic game that's been played over the last couple of weeks based around uh, what's called a short squeeze. Uh, and this is a topic I've been trying to get educated on myself because it always sounded very odd to me that you could make money betting on a company losing value. But this is a thing. Uh, what's called a short sale. And it's one of those things that sounds like, wow, you can actually do that. <laughs> That's even legal. Um, and in some cases it's not, it's very highly regulated, but it is actually possible for a person to look at a stock and say, I'm really sure that stock is going to go down. And so they can then essentially borrow a stock from somebody else who has that stock and then sell it to somebody else. And then later they are responsible to return the stock they own uh, back to the person they borrowed it from. And so what they're counting on is that they can borrow a stock that costs 10 bucks essentially by giving them 10 bucks and then they can sell it for 10 bucks. Excuse me, not sell it for 10, well yeah, they can, uh, they can, they can sell it to somebody for 10 bucks 
but then they don't actually have to own that stock until the price has gone down, at which point they actually buy the stock they never owned and then give it back to the person they borrowed it from. <laughs> and so if I can get it and sell it for 10 bucks and then buy it back for four, and that's the only cost that I incurred in having to return it to the person I borrowed it from, I'm up, you know, that money. If, uh, if the value goes the right way, right? If the is value that, goes the right the way. Here? Yeah. Where, where it gets dicey and where it gets extremely risky is let's say a stock costs 10 bucks and I buy the stock and it costs 10 bucks. Um, I, the maximum amount of money I can lose in that situation is 10 bucks because the stock can't go lower than zero. I can't wake up tomorrow and find out that the price of the stock is negative a billion dollars and I'm ruined, right? I lost $10. Uh, on the upside, there's no theoretical limit to how much money I could make because the stock could just keep going up and up and up and up and up. With mm. a short sale, it's the opposite. The maximum amount of profit you can make is down to the stock going to zero. But because you lose money if the stock goes up, there's actually no theoretical limit to how much money you can lose if the stock price goes up. And the terms of a short sale almost always have a time commitment to them so that the stock has to be returned at a certain time, which means if the stock price spikes and you're pretty sure in another week it's going to be back down, but the terms of your short sale are up this week, that's too bad. And so that's, that's what happened here. And it's happened before. Uh, there's a lot of money that can be made in this, though. I was reading uh, back in 2019 uh, and into the early, early 2020, Tesla uh, had a bunch of people short selling it because everybody thought their stock was going to tank because they weren't going to deliver on some of their their big ideas. But then that didn't actually happen, and Tesla stock went up four hundred percent, and short sellers lost eight hundred or eight billion dollars <laughs> over just a, a short few period, you know, a few days. However, even though Tesla stock had spiked way up high, those same people said, "But I'm still pretty sure it's going to go back down," and so they kept short selling it. And when it finally did just resettle back to a, a more uh, reasonable level in March of 2020, those short sellers made 50 billion over just a handful of days in a sell-off. And so it's a it's a game that can have big winners and big losers. But the new player in the game that's made it more challenging is this group of of private investors, individuals who organize through a forum site on Reddit, mm -hmm. uh, and they find these companies that have been short-sold uh, in excess. I think GameStop was over 100% short-sold, meaning that they had actually sold to people with a short sale more stocks than GameStop e even had. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, I mean, this, this is an extremely leveraged short sale. Uh, and they said... This thing then is ripe for doing a short squeeze, which is to try to essentially artificially uh, goose the value of the stock, and then you make a bunch of money, and you cost whoever's doing the short sale a ton of money, which was, in this case, primarily, I guess, some hedge, mm -hmm. hedge fund investors, and I, they cost them, I think, $5 billion in the first week they were doing this. And so they, you know, I think the fact that they were using a tool primarily called Robinhood sort of made them feel... Like they were robbing the rich to give to the poor or something. Uh, mostly, I think they're just bored and clever. And you get bored and clever people in a group and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, so that that was the adventure. And now they're swooping in and trying to find ways to, you know, are we going to restrict how often people can buy stock and which stock they can buy? And part of the problem with this is typically situations like this involve some kind of insider trading, insider knowledge, some private things going on that you can actually go back and sue people for. 
But when you're just looking at public information and you're discussing it in a public forum like Reddit, that's a lot harder to prove. And so mm. now you've got this new group in town that are able to to move billions of dollars uh, back and forth for the global markets um, just by randomly picking companies they want to invest in. And there was some other like a Russian uh, insurance company or something. <laughs> These random small companies they find that are just way over overshorted. Uh, what it made me think of and what I wanted to just to discuss uh, with you guys is kind of the gamification of the stock market, right? The, the fact that this is literally just now a, a math game. It's, mm -hmm. an, it's an Excel spreadsheet that you're trying to, to play with variables on to get numbers to go up and down. Uh, how far removed that is from the stock market as a place where people investigate the value of the produce of a company and decide if they want to be invested in the productivity of that company uh, to be able to then share in the risk that production always incurs, but also then to be able to share in the rewards uh, of, of wise management and, and good products. And, and now we're at the point where the company doesn't matter, right? And in fact, these companies are being picked specifically because they're not being well managed and they're all spiraling into the ground. And I, yeah, as, as Christians, first of all, do you think engaging with the stock market, uh, engaging with speculative investments, is that an ethical thing for Christians to be a part of? Or is that more akin to gambling, more akin to... Uh, seeking after the rapid gains that Proverbs warns is the calling card of a fool. <laughs> and do any of well, you own GameStop stock? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an interesting question. I, I, you know, we all have. Re I would assume we all have some form of retirement that we're saving into. Besides heaven. Oh, say again, Chris. Besides heaven. Yeah, besides heaven. <laughs> okay. Um, at least that's pretty common, especially people that, you know, are working for corporations. There's 401ks and right. IRAs and a variety of different things that people will, will, will stow away money into, uh, so that at some point they can stop working. Um, I think what's interesting in my case, and it's not, be it's because I'm not focused. It's not a hobby for me. Ours is, is all based. We don't even know where it goes. I mean, you do, if you look at it, but into these, index funds and various other things where others are making these choices. It certainly, um, it certainly seems like it's a good way to save up your money. If you can afford to put a few bu extra bucks um, per month or per paycheck, however it is you choose to do it. I do know that uh, even here in our church, there's some folks that are actually, they've got a real mind for this stuff and they've, they've got a uh, strategies in place. And, and I think, um, as I think about them, I'm sure they would say this isn't gambling at all. This is very thoughtful selection of certain companies and putting your money away and allowing things like interest to to compound and grow your money. Uh, so I, but I that that would be my perspective. I don't know if you guys can represent a perspective where someone is saying no, this is wrong, and they have some other, maybe they just keep their money under their mattress. <laughs> I know I have friends um, that are more of that opinion uh, who who do not see the star stock market or stocks or or investments of that nature 
um, to be to be wise and to be appropriate for for Christians to participate in. They they see it as as risky uh, in a way that they don't believe Scripture would justify. Probably won't mention all their names, but <laughs> <laughs> do they have an alternative for saving and and basically saving for the day when? they're not going to be able to work on a daily basis like they can at a younger age. Do they have some, some plan and some method of, I'd be curious not, not to try to poke holes at it, but to understand it. What's their approach? Yeah. uh, Their approach would generally be work hard, live on less than you make, uh, save what you have. If you're investing it, invested into people, invested into things that you, you actually know. Hmm. Um, and into enterprises and businesses that you've you've vetted and you you're putting your money towards a specific outcome, um, and then allow that to accumulate over your life. Hmm. Sure, sure. So not not investing in the stock market, but investing directly in other probably smaller companies, and mm-hmm. relying on that for future income or property. Yeah, real mm-hmm. estate, real estate. Yeah, hard assets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think we can agree that something like the stock market, stocks in general, these types of investments, there's a there's a spectrum of wisdom there, right? I think we would agree that there's a way of of taking funds and investing them, even in the stock market, that is seeking to apply biblical principles of of wisdom, and there's a way of approaching the stock market. Uh, that is that is reckless and foolish, mm-hmm. or or do you That's, disagree? I agree. Caleb agrees. Nate, hey. what would I was going to ask you, <laughs> Caleb? Uh, just because we don't we haven't got Nate dodged the question enough of that wonderful baritone voice today. Oh. Um, but I was going to ask you your your thoughts because I what uh, what you described, Chris, with the sh- with short selling and the short squeeze. That it, it's certainly. Sounds to me, total average Joe in these things, it certainly seems like a manipulation of a system, right? High risk, high reward, instant returns or instant doomsday. Kind of reminds me there was this comedy back in the 90s, probably a bad movie. Pretty much every movie I saw in the 90s, if I go back and watch it now, I'm like, oh my goodness, that movie's full of trash and you didn't notice it then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a movie in the 90s about this sort of thing, right? These two guys, Dan Aykroyd and I think Eddie Murphy. Anyway, I, I don't want to get called, uh, caught up in a, uh, in a film, but um, clearly what you've described with the short squeeze and all that, this is gamesmanship and high stakes whereas is is that different from folks that are just stocking away a few bucks per month in a 401k so they can retire when they turn 70 like i guess i started off directing this to you caleb and you can't tell but on screen i'm looking at your half of the screen not Ooh, chris's so i'm directing this to you yep <laughs> you're up <laughs> yeah i mean i yeah it, it, it is I'm not sure what you're asking me exactly. Sorry, so, but uh, but you <laughs> well, made you made a good statement. Okay, uh, and the and the short selling gamesmanship wrong. Uh, are they both wrong? Uh, you know, I I think. I mean, I think there was a part. There's a part of it where it was the little guys trying to trying to put the squeeze of some larger hedge funds, right? So they were trying to basically uh, the the hedge funds do this on a regular basis. This kind of thing a lot more. And so it's fine when they do it, but as soon as individuals do, then suddenly, you know, got to take down all the apps that allow people to trade on their own, that sort of thing. So, so I think there's a, yeah, in that scenario, 
there's a way in which, you know, the people using the Robinhood app, because it was Robinhood, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah you know, Robinhood yeah, app. Yeah. We're, we're trying to essentially steal from the rich. <laughs> They're not really giving it to the poor. I didn't get a chance. <laughs> I mean, some, but, of some of them are poor, I guess. <laughs> some of them are poor. Some of them might be poor now. <laughs> they were before. I don't know. I haven't seen full resolution. Well, the on that guy yet, that but. started it, he lost like thirteen million or something this week something when the price like began to correct. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a way in which I think I think it's you know it's fine. There's there's risk on on the market, but I don't think risk is necessarily always wrong. I mean, if we're playing with our with our entire future, if we're, well, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're just out gambling your your family's well-being away, well, that's not good Christian stewardship. You know, if you're if if you've got a family, wife and kids that you know taking what money you have put away and and then just losing it overnight is probably not the wouldn't be we wouldn't call that wise, right? Uh, but yeah, I think I think there can be a way in which you can invest. Um, you know, and and I would say in the same way, which I think it's it's okay. You know, if somebody's got. Ten dollars wants to put in a slot machine once in a while, you know. Because <gasps> I know <laughs> I might I might get myself what? in trouble. Oh, man. Uh, sorry, sorry, uh, uh, we're having technical uh, difficulties. Uh, Caleb, I'm clutching my pearls <laughs> yeah. over here. You know, <laughs> as long as it's as long as it's uh, you know seen as uh, you know now it's the person that's addicted to gambling is going in there gambling all, all right. the time. You know, that's that's obviously not 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 correct. And there's a lot of things that gambling is very negatively associated with. So I'm not not saying that anybody should, you know, make that a habit in their life. Um, but, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, you don't want to have a, a habit of foolishness. A hobby would be. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, all, we all throw hobby. money away, right? And we all take risk on certain things. So it's just a, right. a matter of which ones, you know. So I think that's. <laughs> That's a uh, that's a, a part of it, but uh, you know, in other words, if you get your boys together to play around a poker and there's uh, small stakes at it, this is probably not sin, right? So. I like how his his example to justify gambling in a slot <laughs> machine is playing poker. <laughs> See, well, it's, it's both. It's yeah. I mean, it's clearly not more offensive than than playing poker. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, this you know, is, you're walking is... through the airport, you have me in Vegas, you're just like, you know, we throw ten bucks in here and just, uh, you know. Layover. This is why Caleb was so quiet on this segment. He didn't want to give up his. his I gotta be, yeah, I gotta be careful. I gotta be air quote hobby. Air quote. <laughs> wow. Air no, quote. no, no. Yep. No. Anyway, uh, back to uh, the the topic of hand. But uh, no, I think I think you know being wise, uh, being safer with four hundred one ks and those sorts of things. If you can control that, is probably probably prudent not to put everything in the uh, you know the highest risk category, hoping you'll win big. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's room for that. Um, I think we need to be careful. Um, a lot of that takes advantage, uh, like we're seeing in this situation and a lot of it, you know, I think sometimes Christians would just be easier to go, oh yeah, I just, they're managing it. It's fine. Whatever. Um, and look the other way or, well, you know, somebody could justify this one. Well, we were taking out a, a big hedge fund. So, so that makes it right. Well, not necessarily, <laughs> you know. So, right. um, that, that yeah. That Evil is an intentions. interesting point about trying to take advantage of someone or something, and I think that that for the Christian probably the motive. Uh, there's there's savvy investing, but uh, even like you mentioned, some folks uh, that might choose to invest in real estate. For, as part of their their method of providing for their needs, and when they as they age, as they get older, even in the real estate world, there's you can take advantage there. Like if there's someone who's really hurting and needs to sell their house, there are people who come in and offer them a fraction of what it's worth because they need the money. 
And they've clearly taken advantage of that person's situation. Um, I think to your to your point, some of what I read about this GameStop business, they were taking advantage of billionaires. So it felt it felt better. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, <laughs> like that was that was OK because they're billionaires. That's OK. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of grandmas whose retirement is in those hedge funds. But yeah, <laughs> you, know? exactly. you bet. You bet. <laughs> yeah. And I want to you know, I don't want to spend too much more time on this topic because I want to get to um, the very non-confrontational, non-controversial topic the kid has for us coming up next. But I do want to push the conversation at least one more direction before we move. And that is uh, when we talk about how markets work, how economies work, I think we would probably all be in the camp where we, um, we would prefer a free market to, to a not free market, uh, to a, an economy where uh, individuals are allowed to make make choices that are not coerced whenever possible. But one of the things that I think this type of a situation highlights is um, the effects of, of culture and how they're expressed through opportunity. Uh, when you When you have a free market, when you have um, economic opportunity, that can allow people to do things that are, are virtuous and right without being hindered and manipulated by the government or others. But it can also allow for opportunism, which I think mm. we're increasingly seeing. And this, this isn't something that's just unique to the economy. And I think even as Christians, we have to be careful. There's a kind of Christian opportunism that sometimes the church succumbs to where we're constantly trying to improve on the gospel by jumping on whatever the current best-selling fad of the world is. And so whatever movie is popular now, we have to have our version of it by Christmas and whatever the popular books are right now, we got to say, well, no, uh, Jesus says the same thing. If you read it upside down and and we have to have that book out, you know, as soon as we can, uh, you have people using religion and Christianity as manipulative, manipulative tools uh, to do the same thing Jesus chastised the Pharisees for doing, devouring widows' houses by uh, manipulating them to give their, their money in ways that are unwise, even to the church. And, and so opportunism is not just something that you can do in the stock market. But what I wanted to talk a little bit about is, and this sort of even relates to the, the porch and our, our larger vision for trying to be Christian men in our, in our uh, context, wouldn't it be better instead of celebrating or encouraging a culture of opportunism, whatever flavor that is, to really be seeking to be known as a place, um, you know, the church and church culture as a place that encourages productivity, that we we love free markets and we love that kind of opportunity because it gives individuals the chance to create things of value and worth over time and to build things that love our neighbors and are a blessing to them over time. Uh, and if you know there's an opportunity for others to invest in that work, if there can be a return on that investment that's shared with many, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that can be a positive thing. But that what we're valuing is not the numbers, you know, that we're not playing the math game, whether that's uh, even in our own Christian lives. We only want to read our Bibles and pray if we feel like it's making us feel happy or if it's fixing the problems in our life. But we don't want to invest in discipleship. We don't want to invest in sanctification uh, unless the bottom line looks good right now, you know, or even in our financial decisions where we're looking for, okay, how is the world making money fast right now? 
Uh, let's let's do that too before we miss out. Instead of saying, "What can I do that generates value around me? What can what can my household contribute to that's producing what's good and true and beautiful?" Uh, and and it will be for the flourishing of people around me, and then trusting that those things will inevitably carry with them more long-term value because they are inherently valuable. So I just want to hear kind of your thoughts a little bit about how do we encourage as men, even in our own homes, a culture of productivity rather than opportunism. I love, I love the way you describe that. There's to, to be, to be industrious and to be known as, as people, even in our workplaces, as the most productive people, but doing it in a way that you're a light. There are some people that are so hardworking, they're grumps, and you don't want to be around them. <laughs> right. And we don't want to be that. That's not what Jesus is. But man, Chris, as you were talking, it got me thinking, our God is, yes, he's loving. He, all these character traits that the Bible is full of that describe who our God, loving, powerful, holy, just, merciful great gracious but he is he is always working too i mean he is a busy god he is always at work in our lives in the cosmos he is at work in the in the nate the natural creation around this the sea the sun rises the sun sets as the sun's in the air uh, the trees and the blades of grass lean towards it because it nourishes them the rains fall everything about this world we live in is not just something, not just like a top, a spinning top that he started and then took his hands off and backed away. It's in his hands and we serve a productive God. And, um, boy, what better way to try to honor him than to participate in that, that, that vibrant activity of producing, but doing it for his glory, not, not to just make you know, some extra money or just be, there's some people that just love to work and, but they're grumpy about it. We don't want to be that way, but I kind of, right. it kind of got me excited. I, I, that was a curveball. I didn't think this conversation about short selling was going to end there. And I Aha. like where you, I like where you took it. <laughs> I put some extra spit on that one before I threw it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I've just been thinking about even in my own family with my children, um, how do I Re, try to reward them, encourage them when I see them producing things of value, you know, whether it's the picture that they took time to draw rather than the one that they didn't take time to draw, right? Do they, are they like, hey, if I just scribble this on there, look, Papa, do they, you know, oh, thank you for making me a picture that you didn't actually care about. You just wanted to get kudos, you know, mm, versus, right. <laughs> no, you, you, you were thoughtful and it may, you may still not be able to tell what it is. But there was time spent in producing something mm -hmm. that was an expression of their creativity, and that's valuable now because it, it's it's a something it's a work that they put together, or even just a fort they've built in the in the family room that you know they've they've worked on. They're telling me all the different pieces and how it all fits together, and they're they're enthusiastic for what they've produced and and trying to find ways to uh, slowly channel that I think God given um, instinct. That, that children have, that they, they, they love producing things and then showing them to the world um, that can be obviously end up in a selfish direction, but I think it can be channeled in a, in a very healthy direction to say, keep doing that, find what is good and what is true and what is beautiful and, and keep doing that and then keep sharing it with the world for the benefit of others. And especially as my children start to get a little bit older now and their capacities are increasing and their intelligence is increasing, trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I 
help that transition mm-hmm. uh, from the little child's play to now what is going to increasingly become the capacity for real meaningful production in this world. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot of ideas, but I haven't uh, had like that breakthrough moment of being particularly, I think, successful. <laughs> and so I don't know if any of you guys have learned anything. I know, Caleb, you probably got kids that have been through the longest season of that. Yeah. You know, we've got kids that have started working and, and making money. And then we've had to step into the free market a little bit when they try and pay their their siblings, you know, nothing <laughs> to do their chores. Oh, so, there you go. <laughs> so then you, there's a whole other dynamic there. I'll it's, give uh, you these two pennies yes. if you give me that one dime. That's right. That's more <laughs> like you have a minimum wage in your household. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have to step in once more. Well I think that's worth a little go. more than that. You know, it's, so it's 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 the uh, the desire of the the middle two right now to 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 get the money that their older siblings are making. <laughs> so either by selling goods or by offering services. Um, selling but, goods and services is sort of the definition of an economy. So, yep. they, so we've got our own little family <laughs> economy exchange. Economy, of, so yeah. they're right on board. They, they're, doing, they're, they're figuring it out. I know it's, it's hard. Um, but it, it also, it lends itself to the, to the habit of some of the older ones to sometimes uh, become lazy at home. I mean, I know they work hard at work, but then they come home and go, eh, I don't really want to do the dishes. So, hey, Lizzie. And this is how an aristocracy <laughs> is formed. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah. That's what, uh, the, yeah. Our oldest always going, uh, man, I'd rather just pay somebody to do this work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know who you are if you're listening. <laughs> well, you did say oldest, so almost everybody knows who I know, you. I know. Everybody That's knows. That's kind of inventive of them on a level. I, You know what it reminded me of? Did you guys remember probably five years ago, there was a guy down in Silicon Valley, a programmer, and his company discovered that he wasn't actually doing his work. Hmm. He had taken his responsibilities and he had outsourced it to 1099 programmers somewhere in China or India. And... He was being highly productive, but he wasn't doing it. And actually, the way he got caught wasn't wasn't because they, the quality of the work, it was good. The way he got caught was he was browsing cat videos all day at work because <laughs> he had no work to do. He'd outsourced it all. <laughs> I remember at the time, a lot of us were like, man, they should make that guy the COO of the company. That's brilliant. <laughs> His one mistake there was not getting hired as a contractor. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. Anyway, uh, I mean, we could probably talk more on that general subject, but I, we do say, want to save a few minutes here to talk about Just a the jab, the poke, the, the uh, what are the ass. other, Ouch. what are Ouch. some of the other words that are being used? Yeah. Well, in, in Britain, it's jabs, it's right? It's called jabs. Yeah. Yeah. Jabs. Jab. Jib jab. Jib, it's not a jib jab, but jib we jab. might get a jib jab this week. We'll see. There you um, go. Can, can you, do, jabs? Jabs? Can you make a jib jab about COVID jabs? Maybe there might be a COVID jib jab. Uh, I can I can make happen. We'll see. We'll see if I can do that for you guys. Uh, no, you know I was going to talk about you know local local things and talk about you know how junior high and high schoolers are going back to school one day a week here in Spokane, Spokane Valley. Um, but then you know I realized it's, it's really just one of my kids so <laughs> that is affected by this, and so I don't know well, how I've much conversation. I've got two as well that are. I going know, but back. you're but you're quarantining this week, so I, well, I figured, exactly. I mean, they're so, supposed to be going back. <laughs> so, so, so maybe next week we can talk about week. that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was saying. You know, I was going to say, ah, how how is it to have you know one day a week at least with the kids gone out of the house? <laughs> but anyway, didn't happen. So yeah. you've got one that has been back though, right? 
Uh, two of them were back oh, okay. um, just before we flew out of town for okay. the funeral. And one in elementary, one in middle. Okay. And then um, our oldest, Kate, she was going to go back for one day. Of course, yeah. this weekend, that's not happening yeah, now until yeah. um, we're out of quarantine. All right. Yeah. They, love going, they love going back, though. So they since you it. are on quarantine, we should probably warn our listeners that if you find um, our content tasteless... Yes. Or if you feel like something smells funny <laughs> yeah. with what we're saying. Or it doesn't smell funny. You might need to go get a a test. Yeah. If it should smell funny, Wait. but it doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's it. There's um, free testing available down at the uh, Coliseum or whatever that is. <laughs> the Coliseum. It was called the Coliseum <laughs> Wait a uh, years ago. The arena, yes. Oh, really? What's it called? Yeah, it was the called arena? the Coliseum. <laughs> they nice. tore it down and built the arena. It's a drive-through thing, right? You drive down there. You don't even have to get out of your car. I've heard about this, yeah. and they test you, and then you get notifi- notified later. Is that how it works? I I guess so. I've not had the <laughs> privilege of having a test done yet. Well, um, I better get the place's name right first. It's not Coliseum. <laughs> I'll no. see what I can find out. Um, but but uh, I want to talk a little bit about vaccines, the COVID vaccines, and I don't know if you guys have done any. Any research at all? I really have not I'm done a lot time. of research, and I've I'm not a doctor, go, guys. I, <laughs> but I can read. So I was looking at a few. Uh, Wake few. me up when you're done. No, no, I'm yeah. Done. <laughs> well, there's so there's 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 three vaccines that have been approved for emergency use. Let's make it clear: none of these are actually FDA approval. They're not full approval. Um, there are three that have been approved for for uh, for emergency use, which I guess. Depends how you define emergency. I think we just uh, there's our first uh, content. Uh, what what do they call that when you slap a fact check? Yeah. So there's so, one. Let's see how anyway, you can get uh, in here yeah, before we're see. done. <laughs> nice. uh, there's two. There's two that are in the third and final stage of uh, of uh, testing or whatever you call that before trials before they will get approved. I believe they have both uh, applied for emergency approval as well. Um, that's the uh, so the, the first three uh, the first two were the the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine and now you've got the AstraZeneca that's also out um, which Ireland has decided they're not going to use for their elderly but we could talk about that it's a whole other article probably a whole other there's another a show. second fact check anyway <laughs> um, and then there's uh, the Johnson and Johnson and the the Novavax vaccine those are the two that are that are kind of right on the horizon. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about about them. I, you know, the the first two are basically they're very similar, basically the same, except that one has to be stored at like negative ninety eight degrees or something Fahrenheit, right? And the other one's just negative four. So one's like super cold, and the other one's just like pretty cold. And that was the the super cold one was the one where that one guy kept sabotaging it, right, over on the east coast somewhere. I, I didn't hear that. He kept taking them out, oh. at, like turning the cooling off at night and trying to ruin all the. Vaccine dosages. He got arrested. Wow. Can't remember what his beef was. Nope. But yes, you're correct. That wouldn't be good. Um, And uh, let's see. uh, So those, but those two are, I use uh, mRNA technology. We'll call it technology. I don't know. Technology is a good word. It's a good word. These are not traditional vaccines, right? They're uh, they're a little different. Um, They're using RNA. What is RNA, Chris? Ribo, uh, no. ribonucleic acid, ribonucleic acid, <laughs> yeah, yeah, ribo, yeah, something like that. Anyway, so I, I don't know a whole lot about this, but basically they're taking what one one strand of DNA, right? Is that what RNA is, or how does that work? It's a genetic code. 
This is your segment, dude. It's my segment, but, but, but you're smart. You talk to me about this kind of stuff all the time. You know, I end up in work meetings like this. Other people schedule them, and then I dial in. They're like, okay, Nate, take it away. I'm like, what? This isn't my meeting. Not my job. <laughs> well, it basically, my, my understanding is, anyway, that it's basically just a, a single single DNA strand. Um, I don't know how many strands we have in our DNA. See, that's how little I know about this. I should probably prepare better for this segment. <laughs> but uh, anyway, all, this now. all the fifth These graders are, at home that are just studying this, they're like, come on, this is an easy one. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Oh, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm that's not. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so those those use uh, RNA technology that basically they're trying to uh, to change our the way our cells work um, on a genetic level, essentially, mm-hmm. um, through genetic modification. Um, the AstraZeneca one is a, a little bit different in that um, they've uh, actually using multiple strands of RNA. So I, I think it's two strands that they've used to create basically a simple DNA. And uh, and they've put that inside an adrenovirus uh, – no, adenovirus. I can't even say the words right. And then they give that to you, right? And then your body attacks that and absorbs it, but it deposits this uh, DNA into your cell that causes it to produce this, this uh, the protein, uh, the protein spikes, and then you, you know those protein spikes emerge, and your body comes up with a defense for those protein spikes, basically. Um, then you've got the Johnson Johnson, which is just basically more like a traditional traditional vaccine, where they're. Uh, um, injecting you with a virus somewhere i don't know um i'm sure chris is frantically fact-checking me over there but uh. oh you know it i'm gonna put my but, own warning label on our own episode yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, the one that the one that caught my caught my so so the ones that i, I don't know if you guys are you know i just got a, a thing on my watch a minute ago that said uh vaccine demand in spokane is higher than supply or something and i didn't uh, Isn't that true everywhere <laughs> Demand for Ordered. vaccine greatly outweighs supply in Washington. I would be curious, uh, you guys, uh, a couple of questions. First of all, because uh, we want to be controversial. I mean, I've got friends that are that are um, anti-vaxxers. Um, are you guys? Do you guys vaccinate? Do you believe? Do you think vaccinations are good, bad? Where are you guys at with vaccine? And then, and then, are you part of this this outweighing demand? Uh, that is, uh, are you are you ready to get in line and get this thing? Yeah. What do you think, Nate? I uh, I do have an opinion on the whole vaxing subject. I, I, I did not encounter anti-vaxxers, if you want to call them that. Until we lived in California. And there was this, you know, kind of sub, I don't want to call it a subculture, but there was this group of folks that were, they weren't uneducated. These were not country bumpkins, but but they were really opinionated on not vaccinating their kids. And I'm not just talking about mm-hmm. COVID. I mean, in, anything. And and it, it actually, at the time that we lived in California, there was like an outbreak of whooping cough or something that started to hit the schools because of uh, because vaccines, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of folks had, hadn't done it. So um, we, we kind of... Um, for us, we just we think vaccines are great. I, it's kind of like I like um, I like electricity. You know, it's modern tech. It's great. I like also I kind of like to not be dying of things like the plague and these other things that people used to die of. So, um, you know, we're pretty uh, 
we, 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 our kids get vaccinated and Nita and I have growing up and, and it sure seems to make sense to me. Uh, there were sometimes though people got pretty, pretty animated about anti-vaccinations and even, you know, some of the folks say things like, Mm. you know, how (laughs) could you put poison in your kids? And it's like, well, because it, makes their systems resistant to the poison. And um, a few times in in truly immature moments, I would just say, you know, you're welcome. Because the only reason you can live this way is because the rest of us vaccinate. Otherwise, we'd all be dead. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, those were great conversations to have. No, I think think when it comes to, in general, um, modern healthcare technology like vaccines, I think that's something that that uh, we think is, is a great thing. Um, although I will say, I do have a friend uh, who was a really healthy guy and an, kind of an athletic guy. He was probably maybe eight, nine years older than I was am. And he went to get a flu shot and he had not mm. only an adverse reaction, one that changed his life and um, nearly killed him. And and now he he had had flu shots before, mm-hmm. but just something about his body chemistry. So there is some risk. I don't want to be oblivious to that, but it sure seems like there's greater risk to not. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I was too opinionated on yeah, that. Yeah, I think as, as a category, <laughs> vaccines fall into the category of you use the word technology. It's it's a it's an approach to trying to medically um, keep bad things from happening. Now you know if. Here in the camp, it's like actually, it's how the government is secretly, you know, sneaking um, microscopic, you know, biotechnology into us or something. That would be bad. Mm-hmm. But but the, a vaccine, yeah, a vaccine at least has an idea that, that's presented. That would be bad. Is, is yeah. a way of saying what can we do to mitigate against some of the effects of the fall mm-hmm. in, in disease. And there's a lot of different things that we do to our bodies. Some of them are very invasive. Think of pacemakers and things like that that we use to try to mitigate against the effects of the fall. And in general, I am extremely grateful to live in the era that I live in. Uh, If it weren't for relatively recent modern medical intervention, um, both myself and my mother, we would have died at my childbirth. (laughs) Mm. So, you know, I'm thankful for a lot of the medical technologies that we have, Mm. uh, visiting Mm. people in the hospital, even here in the Valley, folks from our church, and seeing just some of the incredible things that they are able to do that even a generation ago would have been unthinkable. That is something Uh, you're not able to do right now, though. Visiting people in the hospital right now is not, yeah. Uh, Hopefully we get back to that. I do hope so. Uh, Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, And I'm very, very thankful for it. That's a form of common grace. Uh, from God. That being said, any technology comes with it, an inherent level of risk. All technologies involve some kind of unintended consequences, great or small. Mm-hmm. And everything doesn't, there, there's no technology that falls out outside of the range of, of evaluation and, and criticism and, and, and wisdom. And so where I get concerned is when we start looking at a technology both as as a savior and as mandatory, um, mm-hmm. and we begin to compromise what I think are very important principles of, uh, you know, the sphere sovereignty of the individual autonomy as well as family autonomy and and, and other other mm-hmm. spheres of society. And so I want to be very very careful about looking at even what could be a very good thing and saying mm-hmm. because this is a good thing we're okay uh, dis- destroying some of the principles. Uh, of of freedom and of responsibility and of autonomy that uh, 
that in the long term are going to be very important protections against greater evils of other mm-hmm. kinds. And, and so that's, that's where I get a little bit nervous. Um, if you, you know, while you've been talking about doing some more reading on MRNA, MRNA technology mm-hmm. and how it works. And it's really cool sounding, yeah. right? The, the techno it's, yeah, it's really, really cool. It sounds like mm, a technology yeah. that, that has some potential to be, be pretty, pretty spiffy instead of having mm-hmm. to introduce, um, you know, full weakened viruses into our body and trigger immune responses to that. We can essentially say all, all these viruses wear an orange hat and we can teach some of the cells in our body to wear an orange hat and have them teach the body how to attack it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, that part is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, is it a tested technology? Uh, nope. not, not with really, not a lot of long-term longitudinal type studies because we haven't had time for that. Does that mean it's going to kill us? Not necessarily. Is there a reason why some people might feel cautious and say, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that's the right thing to introduce into, into my family uh, until there's been more, um, more time. I think that's, that's a reasonable response for some. Is that right for others to say, Hey, we're really concerned about the the potential of this virus for for whatever specific health needs our family has, and and we believe that the potential risks of this vaccine are are a lot less than the potential risks of the virus that it's going to hopefully help us be resistant to, and so we we think that's a really good thing to do. We want to be at the front of the line if we can. Sure, I think those are all ranges of wisdom. I think any any of the responses that are at the extremes, though, which say that a vaccine, by the nature of being a vaccine, has to be bad. Um, or that this vaccine, mm-hmm. because of whatever reasons, is a moral necessity. I think those are both responses that mm. tend to uh, leave out actual biblical wisdom in the process. But yeah. yeah, I don't know that our family will be the first in line. Mm. And part of that is because we had COVID. <laughs> and so. And you probably can't be the first in line. Yeah, so we, we wouldn't qualify. And, you know, sort of, well, we've kind of been there, done that. So I don't, there's less need. Do you develop, do you develop an immunity by having had it? Um, the understanding that is that it likely creates a fairly durable resistance or immunity for an unknown period of time at least likely six months, potentially not longer. That's the best I've seen so far. And that mm-hmm. might be out of date by now. Yeah. And the, we're, so we're, we're, we're not anti-vaxxers either because we've lived overseas. So, I mean, <laughs> right. uh, but by, by virtue of that, if you want to travel, especially outside of this country, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty much not possible. I had a gnarly um, yellow river fever, I think, vaccine that was experimental and it came with all kinds of interesting paperwork Yeah, because you had to get it to go into certain countries. Yep. And so depending on what countries you're going to travel to, where you're going to go. Um, yeah, very, very challenging to, uh, to not, not have vaccines and, and most other countries. I mean, kind of like your response, uh, Nate, you know, vaccines are just, that's just part of life. Um, yeah, I'm we're definitely not planning on signing up for the first couple of these, uh, the first three, actually, um, I'd really like to wait. Um, uh, and then if probably wait anyway, but, uh, would probably get one of the second two, um, because they are proven, uh, the way they're they're made and the way they cause your body to uh, to create immunity is is far more tested and, and, and tried and true. It's taking longer to develop them a little bit, um, and they're probably not as effective. Um, but uh, like I've told some people, you know, if I have it helps me seventy five percent effectiveness against a, a virus that you know I have ninety nine point nine seven or nine eight percent chance of surviving anyway helps my really that makes my odds even better right so um but yeah that yeah 
that last that last part, Caleb, I think is so important too. Is uh, a lot of us have taken a hard look at the data, and and I th- I would I think especially as time goes on, more and more folks have had a realization that while this is extremely dangerous for some people, mm-hmm. it is not extremely dangerous for all people. Um, there's always a level of danger. It doesn't mean that it's, and from what I've heard, yeah, I, I, you guys probably, Chris, you're one of them, have have known people who have caught this. Um, some of them I've heard it was really a really nasty bug. Their life wasn't in peril, but it was miserable and prolonged in terms of getting through it. And others said it wasn't much at all. So I think, Caleb, you make a good point. I mean, it, for us, we're probably not lining up we're probably not part of that surging demand to get this because mm-hmm. on some level we've never been afraid of it. We've been careful. We follow the guidelines that mm-hmm. um, the various authorities have put in place. Uh, whether we thought they were too stringent or not was kind of irrelevant to us. We just said out of respect, not just for our authorities, but for our neighbors and our community, we're going to do certain things the way they want us to do it. Uh, Knowing we could catch this, and um, but at the same time, because of our health conditions, uh, we we don't fall into that mm-hmm. area that we've been sold as at risk. Uh, you know, eventually, though, I, I'm with. You. I think I think this is going to become a requirement, possibly for domestic travel. This could become a requirement for certain companies for employees. I think that's where we're going to find more and more people are are motivated to get this because mm-hmm. it's simply required to go back to school or go back that's to college I'm more or where, whatever the Not even necessarily for, for this COVID vaccine, but as a precedent mm-hmm. that there's a trajectory there that, that can go in a pretty concerning direction pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, and I would agree with that. I, I'm concerned a little bit with some of the effects, um, you know, uh, older people who are at higher risk. Um, are more likely to be the ones to want to get this first um, just so that they stay safe so that they don't feel like they're going to put anyone else at risk as well. Um, and so they seem to be the first, well, they're the first group that's being targeted after like first responders and things in a lot of countries. So, um, but, uh, you know, one of the, especially right now with the Moderna vaccine, the, the second dose uh, seems to create a lot of side effects that are, that are pretty nasty. I mean, that probably equaling as nasty as some of the effects of mm. of, of COVID itself, just uh, just different and, and shorter time frame. It looks like, you know, most of the effects happen within the first couple of days afterward. But, you know, what is the effects if somebody is already compromised in some way health wise? Um, you know, what, what kind of what kind of putting your body under that kind of stress? And I guess we'll just wait and see um, what kind of effects that uh that will have, but there's the potential that that could actually cause somebody to die. Now, I don't think those things will be tracked, right? In the same way, at least not in the same way that COVID infection is being tracked. Um, but, uh, but you know, how many people will be be listed as having died from getting the vaccine? Probably not very many. It'll be a heart attack or pulmonary embolism or who knows whatever whatever else will be on the death certificate. Right? Not not the not the vaccine, but uh, the one that's. That's a that's a good point about the the manipulation of the data, Caleb. That so many folks. Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't fact want to say this wide scale. <laughs> I don't know the evidence yeah. is there to support that. But a guy fell off a ladder in December and and died from the fall, and they realized he had COVID, so that was mm-hmm. tagged as COVID. It'd be kind of interesting on the flip side of people who do and and. Boy, I pray they don't. But if people do die from complications of the vaccine, that it probably will not yeah, be that, tagged. Um, yeah, as I, such. exactly. That's possible. Um, the uh, 
the uh, the the vaccine that seems the most interesting to me and the most promising is the Novavax one. I've just been I, I I maybe you know this is not an uncommon way they they actually use this to, this this uh, approach with other vaccines, um, uh, influenza vaccines for example. But uh, it's interesting because they take the coronavirus and they take um, the spike protein gene and whatever else they're getting with it, uh, but at least that part, and they actually uh, put it into the uh, a, a baculovirus. Um, and then they they insert that, introduce that to moth cells, and then that modifies the moth cell to to create these protein spikes. And then they collect these protein spikes and put them together in these little um, what do they call them? nanoparticles. And they actually inject you with the nanoparticles, so these little groupings of of these protein spikes, um, along with a uh, a compound extracted from the soap bark tree. That apparently, when it's you're injected with that, it 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 makes your body, you know, more it, it uh, incites the immune response system, you know, to to be more uh, to be more more powerful. Anyway, it's just really interesting to me, you know, that that, that this would be the way to go. Um, then your 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 cells uh, attack those protein spikes, and then anyway, and then and then they break them down, and those proteins get introduced to your T helper, you know, T cells. Anyway, it's just really interesting. Yeah, uh, look it up. It's fascinating um, stuff. But I would encourage anyone that is listening, you know, if you're considering getting the vaccine, um, you know, I, I I I wouldn't say that's wrong by any by any means. Um, but uh, but do some homework and look into it. Um, you know, especially with the, these newer ones, they are really brand new. Um, like uh, one doctor uh, article I was reading was saying, um, the reality is, is is they've been using them or not using them, but playing with this technology for a long time. But they've not right. actually created a successful vaccine yet. Um, this will be the first successful vaccine, and we don't know what long-term effects could be. Maybe none. Maybe right. we'll all be bionic by taking it. <laughs> Maybe we'll have real-life Supermans and stuff, mutants flying around. Who knows? But uh, yeah. probably not. Probably my favorite vaccination anecdote that I think just helps balance out these principles comes from Jonathan Edwards, hmm. probably the greatest theological mind you know that our country has ever produced. And he was alive when the advent of vaccines really came along, in particular a vaccine for smallpox that had just been developed. And he recognized in that technology the potential for an an incredible common grace from God to deal with a pretty horrific Mm. disease that was affecting his community. And so he volunteered to be among the very first in his community community to be publicly vaccinated Mm. um, as an example to his people to say, hey, this is a common grace. We ought to not have a theological um, reticence to use common graces to treat disease. And so I think he was a great example there Mm. for how Christians can think about these things and take advantage of them and even be leaders in some of these technologies. And that vaccine killed him. (laughs) So Mm. it was administered incorrectly and he was given actually the live smallpox virus and and it killed him. Mm. And so there's a risk to these technologies. And so, you know, there's a theological standpoint and a wisdom standpoint. We need Mm -hmm. to evaluate it from both. And I think in general vaccines, we can be considered a a grace from God. I'm separating for a moment. There's, you know, embryonic stem cell Mm -hmm. involvement in some of these. And there's, there's a whole other, some other factors that we could discuss, but but just the technology of a vaccine is a concept I think should be recognized as a mm-hmm. common grace. Um, and yet we are in a fallen world and not everything works the way it was intended. And so um, do do enough due diligence that you're convinced that whatever decision you make is wise and you're ready to give an account for it before God. Mm. Amen. Any other final thoughts from you guys? <laughs> well, well, that was, well, I, 
I got to say, Caleb, uh, I'm looking at your notes here. That Novavax is of interest to me because it's called a nanoparticle, which just sounds really cool. Yeah. But, but doesn't that sound like space age? Yeah, the rest of it is a <laughs> and, so and cells. compound, which sounds totally old school. Moth cells, so exactly. Yeah. What a mashup. It's like if Captain Picard and, and Gandalf worked on a vaccine. No, that was really important, Kayla. I, 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 that's interesting. Oh. You know, Chris, while you were talking about the great the great theologian Jonathan Edwards, so, and by the way, even secular folks will say not just a, one of perhaps the greatest theological mind this country has produced, but the greatest mind in general – um, uh, another great theologian, J. Vernon McGee, came to mind on on his through uh, was it through the Bible? So. Was that his radio or, show all those years? J. Vernon McGee. Uh, are, are you guys familiar Still with on this? the radio? McGee, long yeah. since gone home to be with heaven. But uh, I remember as a kid listening to his show, and there was a point a time when he would read mail that came in, and one of the questions he got was was it okay for for women to wear makeup and J. Vernon McGee's response, another great theological mind, was if the barn needs painting, <laughs> paint it. Um, <laughs> which is a kid. I remember I just peel it over laughing about that. But it does it does say something though about when new tech comes along or new amenities or new things we could use, tools. Um you know, let's uh, let's be practical about it and use what we can, but also safe too. But I uh, mean, I never got over that. Uh, if the barn needs paint and paint it, um, I don't know how his marriage was, by the way. I've never well, heard about that. Well, if it's the kind of marriage where that could be funny, then they probably mm. laughed a lot. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. We sure. Yeah, laugh. we probably should bring this into a landing since I think we've set uh, a new record. Yeah, was this an hour and forty-five or something? One twenty-one. 121. That's not too Ooh, bad. I thought it was boy. worse. We were having too much fun. That's yep. all right. Oh if you listen to it on two times speed. Whoa. That's right. Listen to this on two times speed. Right, folks. So back it up, start over. <laughs> I should have put this warning at the beginning. But yeah, that will <laughs> yeah, be, right I think, all for this up. episode of Bombadil's Porch. We do thank you for joining us for this extended view of God's world, and we hope you will come back and join us again soon. As always, you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice or email us. We'd love to hear from you at bombadillsporch at gmail.com. In particular, if you visit bombadillsporch.com, you can find all of our episodes. But leave us voicemails because we would like to literally hear from you guys and what's on your mind and things that you'd like to see discussed here or other perspectives you'd like to see represented. And so please take advantage of that. I leave you with a quote from Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, one of our heroes of church history who said for nothing is so pleasant to men as talking of other people's business, especially under the influence of affection or hatred, which often almost entirely blinds us to the truth. And so just a reminder that even as we seek to speak truth about the things going on around us in the world, there's a difference between being concerned and love for our fellow man and enjoying just gossip or gushing about other people's business. So enjoy the time on the porch that you have and uh, make sure that all that we're doing ultimately is for the glory of God. Mm -hmm.